welcome to another episode of Nashville Anthems, dissecting 80s and 90s country music. I'm your host, Melton McMainerberry, and playing us in today was the Mineral Wells Hillbilly Band. Check them out at a high school prom near you. On Nashville Anthems, we revisit songs from our past to find out if they still sound as good as we remember them. And we do that by closely examining the songs played on Satellite Radio's 80s and 90s country station, one at a time. Today, we journey back to 1990 to sit down on the bleachers with Garth Brooks's Unanswered Prayers. So, if you haven't already, I hope you'll pause me now and give Unanswered Prayers a few close listens. And now, let's get into it. First off, as always, we want to give credit where credit is due to save you the trouble of having to chase this information down on Wikipedia yourself. Unanswered Prayers was written by Garth Brooks, rodeo writer Larry Bastian, and one of Brooks's stable of frequent songwriting partners, a man by the name of Pat Alger. Some of Alger's other co-writing credits with Garth Brooks, these are some heavy hitters, folks. What's she doing now? Keep that one in mind. It will come up quite a bit when we get to Unanswered Prayers itself. That summer... And the thunder rolls. Not bad, eh? So Brooks released Unanswered Prayers as the third and penultimate single from his sophomore album, No Fences. Now, it's maybe unfortunate that our first encounter with the No Fences cut came after a Shania Twain episode. Because she's the only country artist who can hang with, actually far exceed, Garth Brooks in terms of album sales. But nonetheless, we need to pay due respect to this outstanding and highly commercially successful album. It may not be in Come On Over's League. Nothing is in Come On Over's League. But No Fences is among the top-selling country albums of all time, and it's Brooks's bestseller, which is saying something. I think it's fair to call No Fences Brooks's magnum opus. Maybe followed by Rope in the Wind. Those are both excellent, excellent early 90s country albums. But No Fences is the album that made Garth Brooks a household name, and so he has remained ever since. There were four singles released from No Fences. All four went to number one on the country charts. That's brand new man territory for sure. Quite a remarkable feat. Here are those singles. You ready to hear some Nashville anthems rattled off? Any one of these singles would have been a career single for almost any other artist. Here they are. The first was Friends in Low Places. Yep. Friends in Low Places. The second is a great cut. It's two of a kind working on a full house. The third is the day selection, Unanswered Prayers. And the final single from No Fences was one of the greatest side one, track ones ever in any genre, in my opinion. The Thunder Rolls. When The Thunder Rolls is your fourth single on an album, you're doing all right, okay? So No Fences as an album was and is a big deal. Really, it would be the shining star of albums that we've covered so far on Nashville Anthem. It's really that we would ever cover. Except that it's not that, because, you know, Shania Twain. Well, anyway, rounding out the credits, the producer on No Fences and on Unanswered Prayers in particular was typical Garth Brooks producer Alan Reynolds. Well, okay, with all that said, let's now get into the song itself and specifically what I'm hearing in Unanswered Prayers that makes this song what it is. And the first thing I want to talk about is the patented Garth Brooks drama that we've seen before. Let's start with the instruments, because there is no shortage of them. It starts, of course, with the rhythm section of bass and drums. And now the rhythm section is clearly arena rock influence, something we've talked about before in Garth Brooks. 
This is where I wish I hadn't scooped myself on this a couple of episodes ago when we tackled Kenny Chesney's You Had Me From Hello, which I argued shares a lot of DNA with a song that Unanswered Prayers also shares a lot of DNA with the Garth Brooks and Pat Alger penned What She's Doing Now. On one of these Garth Brooks episodes, we really need to get into the whole arena rock country fusion thing that Garth Brooks was about, probably on Shameless or on Friends in Low Places, whichever of those we happen to get to first. But Unanswered Prayers doesn't really feel like the right one to do that on. Now, Unanswered Prayers does fuse arena rock and country, don't get me wrong, and I'll let you listen to the drums, especially on that last chorus to hear why I say that, but let's not dwell on that here, let's move on instrumentally. Ah, who am I kidding? Go ahead and listen to the drums on that last chorus. Sometimes I thank God for unanswered prayers. You see what I mean? And just because he may not end. But for now, moving off of the arena rock thing, a defining instrumental feature of unanswered prayers is definitely the two acoustic guitars that start the song and continue to lead it harmonically even after all the other instruments come in. You can tell it's two because they are panned in opposite directions. One is to the left and one is to the right. Just the other night at a hometown football game, my wife and I ran into my old high school flame. So, as you can hear, much more than its cousin, what she's doing now, which is more of a piano song, Unanswered Prayers is an acoustic guitar song. So, you know, ingredients-wise, arena rock drums, yes. Country acoustic guitar, also yes. And this is worth sitting on for a second, because it's a sweet spot balance that Garth Brooks has absolutely nailed in his first few albums, and nowhere better than on No Fences, in my opinion. Unanswered Prayers is a country song. This isn't Shania Twain, where you might start to question that fact. Not that there's anything wrong with what Shania Twain was doing. Maybe Garth Brooks was pushing the boundaries of honky-tonk country, granted, bringing a drama that it didn't previously have, again, granted, but the reason it works so well as a combination is because what Garth Brooks was doing is so strongly grounded in the George Strait style of honky-tonk that Brooks was really a part of. Some of it is just timing. Schneider Twain pushed it further, but she also came a half-decade later. Brooks himself was pushing it further by then, too, as we discussed in the Long Neck Bottle episode. But here back in 1990, the point is, when you hear the flair, when you hear Brooks leaning in, selling it, performing the song more than his contemporaries, it's good to keep in mind the contrast in those fused styles of arena rock and country. Garth Brooks pushes, in my view, far less than he conforms. And that's why the push is so effective. Keep in mind, too, that the entire neo-traditional movement that he was such an integral part of was, at the time, itself a push. We take it for granted now because what George Strait, Randy Travis, Clint Black, Garth Brooks, etc. ushered in was radical for the time. So Brooks is just doing his specific version of that heavily neo-traditional style. And I said I wasn't going to get into Garth Brooks' fusion of arena rock and country in this episode, but I guess I've done just that. But in this one, I'd rather talk about the countryside of that fusion. Maybe we'll get into the arena rock side when my favorite Garth Brooks song, Shameless, comes around. We'll see. Well, anyway, rounding out the instrumentation, we have a couple of electric guitars. I think there's some subtle piano also in spots. There's a steel guitar that comes in in verse 2 because this is, after all, honky-tonk music, as I said. 
wasn't quite the angel that I remembered in my dreams, and I could tell the time. And then we have to talk about the drama kings in Unanswered Prayers instrumentally. And it's the heavy strings. They come in immediately, right from the start. Over the top of the acoustic guitar intro, the strings are playing these super high fifths. D, A, D, A. It almost sounds like a lullaby or something. I somehow get that image. Uh, Now I lay me down to sleep sort of vibe, although no sinister Sandman showing up this time. Then the strings go away for the first verse, but listen to them make their presence felt again as the first chorus starts. Sometimes I thank God for unanswered prayers. They're also quite prominent in the song's climax before and into the final chorus. Sometimes I thank God for unanswered prayers. One thing I want to note here is that the strings kind of go all out on the drama in unanswered prayers. Brooks does have a go big or go home kind of vibe, and that's what we're seeing here. And when you apply a philosophy like that, when it doesn't fall flat, it can work extremely well. And there's like no in-between. So think about the sound effects of actual thunder on the thunder rolls, for example, and the hillbilly party atmosphere on Friends in Low Places. There's a couple of extremely effective examples of just going for it that are on no fences. And listeners, I'm going to let you be the judge of how effective the go big or go home strings are on unanswered prayers. Doesn't mean he don't care Cause some of God's greatest gifts Alright, so that's a lot about the drama and the instruments. I do want to sit for a second on the song's climax that I mentioned a moment ago because it's clearly the most dramatic thing in Unanswered Prayers. And again, I'm talking about the pre-chorus between verse 2 and the second chorus, and then into the chorus itself. Here it is again. After all, and as she walked away, well, I looked at my wife, and then and there I thanked the good Lord for the gifts in my life. Sometimes I thank God for unanswered prayers. Two things that stand out to me here. The first is that it's gratuitous. This is drama for drama's sake, you know what I mean? I mean, lyrically, it doesn't really add anything. Brooks is simply being explicit about what the song has heavily implied all along. Like, as listeners, we didn't really need the help to understand what the song was saying. And musically, it isn't really necessary either. It's just extra measures, actually several. Listen to the end of verse 1 and pay attention to the timing. It's not the easiest thing to follow. The song has a lot of 2-4 measures in it, extra couples of beats thrown in, in other words. But note the length of the last syllable on the word again. It's basically four beats, one whole 4-4 measure. Then there's a one-beat break before the chorus starts on beat 3. Here it goes. I'd never ask for anything again Sometimes I thank God 
Now, here's the end of verse 2. Even before that pre-chorus, note how long the word all is. It's twice as long as again. Watch this. I guess the Lord knows what he's doing after all. And it's from there that the, and as she walked away, pre-chorus happens into the dramatic last chorus. Here's that whole climax one more time. After all, and as she walked away, well, I looked at my wife, and then and there I thanked the good Lord for the gifts in my life. Sometimes I thank God. Now, want to have some fun? Here's what that section would sound like if it just mimicked verse 1 rhythmically. After all, sometimes I thank God for unanswered prayers. Hear how gratuitous all that extra stuff is? The song actually sounds just fine without it. It's rather like the key changes between verse and chorus that we talked about on Diamond Rio's That's What I Get for Loving You. It's when you got it, flaunt it kind of stuff. Garth Brooks and this band could pull this sort of thing off, so why not, right? Drama just for the fun of it. That's got Garth Brooks written all over it. But that said, the other thing that sticks out to me about this climax is actually how understated it is. You say, hold on, Milton, isn't that the opposite of what you were just saying? So, gratuitous though this climax may be, and I mean that in the best possible way, it's really not that big of a deal. I mean, what is happening here? Brooks holds the last word of the verse out for an extra measure, then a brief like pseudo-bridge. Note that it's not even a bridge. It could have been dropped in after the second chorus, leading into yet another chorus, probably a whole step up. That would be well within Garth Brooks's vocal range, too. Can you hear how easy it would have been to have done that? Think of all the key changes, for example, in From This Moment On. But no, that's not where we are, at least in 1990. Brooks stuck a little extra drama in there, but only a little. The song is otherwise actually quite straightforward in form. A double first verse, which is pretty standard stuff. Chorus, verse, drama, chorus tag. Done. Except for that added drama, really not a whole lot of curveballs here. And the dramatic pause and then percussive bass walk-ups that actually form the beginning of the chorus, I mean, those are pretty heavy-hitting, but notice how brief they are. Sometimes I thank God for a- Less than two measures of all that. Six beats, really. And other than that, the song just chugs right along. So, all that to say, this climax feels big, in my opinion, largely because the song is otherwise, maybe despite the full orchestration, remarkably small. And we'll get into more of that smallness in a moment when we get into the lyrics. But for now, one more word on drama. And it's in the chords, which are worth highlighting because acoustic guitar-driven song, though this is in the acoustic guitar-friendly key of D, this is not a three-chord country song. The chords in this song are characterized by fairly rapid walk-ups and walk-downs and by suspensions. 
So, rather like what we saw in the chorus of Take Me Down, Unanswered Prayers has a lot of quick chord changes in both the verses and the chorus that have the bass walking up or down a D major scale. For example, there are a lot of these. My wife and I ran into Remember when you're talking That's down a D scale. D, F sharp minor over C sharp, B minor, and D over A. This one too. The past came back to me And I couldn't help That's down the D scale starting with B. Those chords are B minor, D over A, G, D over F sharp, and E minor. And that goes straight into this. Couldn't help but think of the way things used to be. That's back up the D scale, starting with that same E. It's E minor, D over F sharp, G, A suspended, A. And note that suspension there, which we'll come back to in a second. Now, these walk-ups and walk-downs help keep the song moving. I mean, Unanswered Prayers is a ballad, right? But it's surprisingly fast, or more correctly, it's surprisingly motive. It actually has quite a remarkable energy. And in that, it's less of an, if you will, true ballad than what she's doing now is. Unanswered Prayers has that never-sitting-in-one-place-too-long vibe of It's All Right, the opposite of the listless, stationary vibe of Neon Moon. Because this is a happy song, ultimately. Sure, it's wistful, and there's some bittersweetness to it, which we'll get into, but ultimately, joy and contentment went out here. We'll never know what she's doing now, but we do know that, frankly, we dodged a bullet back in the day. If I could write a letter to me and send it back in time to myself at 17, that's probably what I would tell myself, right? And that's what we see in this moving chord progression. Let's get up. Let's get out of here. I don't even really want to watch this football game anymore. Time to leave all that behind and embrace the superiority of where we are and of where we're going. So that's the moving chord progression. Let's do talk about suspensions for a second. We spent a good bit of the That's What I Get for Loving You episode on these specifically, so I'll invite you to go back to that episode for a deeper dive on suspensions. But the thing I want to point out here is, again, how these suspensions are thrown in as something extra, more dramatic effect for its own sake, in other words. The suspensions in Unanswered Prayers always show up on the five chord. That's A major in this key. Most of the time, when this song hits that A chord, it plays it like this. A suspended, then resolving to A. And those long notes we talked about earlier, again and after all, for example, those are over A suspended and then A chords. Again. These suspended chords are often associated with extra beats in unanswered prayers, exactly to give time for the suspension and resolution. That's true of both those examples I just mentioned, and actually, the best place to hear it is in the intro, as mimicked in the turnaround and the outro. Here it is in the intro. Count it. It's two 4-4 four, four measures, then a 2-4 measure, tacked on at the end to resolve the suspension. I guess the 2-4 measure is really to allow the suspension at all. It depends on how you look at it and how you count it, I guess. 
But the two extra beats are there because of the suspension. And the point, as before in the climax here, is gratuity. The rhythm doesn't leave room to suspend these five chords. No problem. We'll just add extra beats. Will the drama play second fiddle to the rhythmic structure on this song or the other way around? Well, sometimes in some songs, the former may be more appropriate, but not here. Or at least, clearly Brooks didn't think so. Suspensions aren't necessary. They aren't necessary in unanswered prayers, but they do give the song a little something extra. They build in some pauses, some time for reflection, which a song like this really calls for, creating little mini regions of suspense to make the satisfying payoff of contentment that much sweeter. Let's talk about that a little bit more. What exactly is this song about, specifically? How does this song do what these songs do? to generate relatable feelings through specific details about a relatable situation that's small and usually grounded in a rural setting. Well, this one certainly ticks all those boxes. The rural setting is this hometown football game, presumably a high school football game, because the old flame that the narrator encounters is explicitly from high school. Very much a southern rural sort of thing to attend the football games of your high school, even in adulthood. It is noteworthy, though, that the narrator apparently no longer lives there. Otherwise, the wording, calling it a hometown football game, would be a little odd. So here we have a narrator and his wife visiting back home. It's fall. That's when high school football happens. Maybe a little chilly that night. The sort of place and time and setting where one could easily start feeling nostalgic. In fact, especially if you're there visiting like this narrator evidently is, it'd be almost impossible not to. Then, vocally, a couple of things are going on to keep the song accessible, relatable, to keep it believable. It's this. Besides some strain-to-hear-them choir ahs toward the end of the chorus, Unanswer Prayers really has no background vocals. Definitely, there's no one harmonizing with Brooks, as we often hear Trisha Yearwood and others do on his recordings. We heard that very thing on Ain't Going Down to the Sun comes up, as a matter of fact. While Rodeo, on the other hand, was just Brooks. And that same thing is true on what she's doing now, by the way. This little detail in the arrangement helps give Brooks's vocal a certain intimacy, a smallness that suits the lyrics well. I mean, for a song that's about divine things, Unanswered Prayers manages to stay quite local rather than cosmic. Let's also note the vocal range because it's quite singable for most men and a piece of cake for Garth Brooks, whom we've heard belt out high G's elsewhere. Here the highest note is the very modest D above middle C. And he gets down to the A, an octave and a half below that. All easy pickings, as I said, for most men. So the vocal performance is not showy at all. It's rather like Patty Loveless's in How Can I Help You Say Goodbye. Kept in a fairly tight, comfortable range for a singer who is very capable of stretching considerably further. But it does highlight Garth Brooks's range in another sense. We've mentioned this before, how Brooks is a Billy Joel-style musical chameleon, bringing to a song whatever vocal persona the song calls for. Remember the dark mystery, the dangerous cowboy in Rodeo? Then there was the frantic energy of Ain't Going Down Till the Sun Comes Up and the drunken loser vibe of Long Neck Bottle. To unanswered prayers, Garth Brooks brings the humble, likable everyman. There's always something relatable in Garth Brooks' vocal. That's just how Garth Brooks works. But here it's not just part of the thing, it's the thing itself. On Unanswered Prayers, Brooks is majoring in relatability vocally, and in that, the tight pitch range of the song helps us see and appreciate Brooks's extremely wide, stylistic range. But listen, we've been dancing around this all episode, so we really need to talk about the final element 
in the country formula of unanswered prayers. And it's the groundedness of this song. I'm talking about its smallness, again, despite the cosmic title, its locality. Here's a man who's doubting his station in life for a hot second, even maybe testing the waters to maybe not quite what could still happen, but at least what might have happened. It's, again, similar to what she's doing now, isn't it? And I'll throw If Tomorrow Never Comes into this mix as well. These songs ask what-if sorts of questions, wistful, unanswerable questions, the sorts of questions that might run through your mind in this uber-nostalgic setting, especially in a chance encounter like this. This is Dan Fogelberg's grocery store, only it's amped up, but with similar results. Because this man's mind does start to wonder. He starts to think about what might have been, starts to expand his point of view, so to speak. And what brings him back down to earth? Well, reality does. The second verse of Unanswered Prayers is, for me, the best part lyrically. Feel how scaled back this man's point of view gets when his dreams confront reality, how he resets from asking if there's life out there to seeing what's right here sitting next to his wife on these hometown football stadium bleachers. There's, she wasn't quite the angel I remembered in my dreams. And we tried to talk about the old days. There wasn't much we could recall. Perfect. This is why you never open Al Capone's vault, right? The reality will never live up to the mystery. Once you know the truth, you've lost the ability to speculate and to dream, and it turns out that speculating and dreaming was really the best part. So, what do you do when reality shatters fantasy? Well, you lean into reality, particularly the reality of the here and now. And that's really where the contentment in this song, which is really the central emotion, is coming from. It's a contentment by comparison, the bright side of disillusionment, embracing the immediacy of what's physically around you rather than dreaming of everything that you're missing. It's the sweet part of the song's somewhat bittersweet tone and is ultimately what Unanswered Prayers is all about. So, with that, I guess I ought to take that lesson and be content to leave this discussion of Unanswered Prayers at that. That's right, it's time to blow off this high school football game and look to the future. So let's do that. Let's find out what song we'll be looking at on the next episode of Nashville Anthems. I'm going to pull up Satellite Radio's 80s and 90s country station right now and see what's playing. The song is Crystal Gale. It's Don't It Make My Brown Eyes Blue. And time out, listeners. It's Melton here, interjecting from a few days after I initially recorded this episode. Because it turns out that Don't It Make My Brown Eyes Blue is outside of the date range for this podcast. I knew it when I saw it come up that it was an early one. And yeah, it turns out it's too early. Don't It Make My Brown Eyes Blue came out in mid-1977. I'll admit, we stretched it a little back when we did The Devil Went Down to Georgia, but that was only by a few months. I think two and a half years is stretching it too far. So, as big a hit as Don't It Make My Brown Eyes Blue was, and it was quite a big hit, look it up. I'll have to veto the selection this time. But now, as luck would have it, the song was actually just ending as I pulled up Satellite Radio's 80s and 90s country station at the end of this episode's recording session. So I caught what played next, and it was the very time-appropriate song, Soon, by Tanya Tucker. So that's the one we're going with in the next episode. I look forward to getting to that one with you in two weeks. In the meantime, write me at MeltonMcMainerberry at gmail.com. 
by Nashville Anthems on Instagram or Facebook. And of course, don't forget to tell a friend about us. Thanks for listening. Bye now. I gotta go. I think I lost something.